Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. How would you like a cartridge that spit a 30-green bullet 5,000 feet per second? Well, we have a patron here who might be making one. But if that's too small and fast for you, we have another patron who prefers, for his all-around versatile rifle, a 458 Winchester Magnum. Let's dive right in on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors podcast. Hello, everyone. Hey, we've got patrons all around the world, and one from Scotland has suggested the 458 Winchester Magnum as his all around cartridge. Let's just read from Kalen over in Scotland. Ron, I love your work. I watch your vids and podcasts constantly, and I am a Patreon. Oh, I love this guy. <laughs> I enjoy your vids immensely. I'm a big boar fan, as are many of my friends and competitors. Recently, I got into a debate regarding my gradual switch from the 4570 and the 4590, etc., to the 458 Winchester Magnum. My argument for doing so is its unrecognized versatility. Would you not agree that it's a highly useful, if not outright, versatile cartridge? I can load it down to the 4570 pressures and performance is then up to a 4590 or 45110, a 45120, and so on, while it is a straight case. Yeah, I know it's belted, but I don't mind. It is still a low to high moderate pressure cartridge. I have hunted deer with it, moose, bear, and the almighty Cape Buffalo. I have found I could be a one-gun hunter thanks to my ability to vary my loads. I use a Ruger number no. 1 in 458 and a Remington rolling block that used to be a 30-06 converted to 458 Win Mag. I am a gunsmith. By the way, I do love the 30-06 and I have a, a Remington rolling block still chambered for that. I uh, use it as often as I can. I would like to ask you to do a talk sometime on the 458 Win Mag and its versatility as a remarkable cartridge. Once someone hears Magnum, they think shocking recoil. 
but a well-fitted rifle in correct weight and negates recoil, as does correct shooting technique. You have spoken of the 4570 and the 444 Marlin, both great cartridges. I think the 458 Win Mag deserves a little love of its own. It's often maligned. I'm a big fan. Kalen from Scotland. All right, Kalen. Let's. I don't know. I'm going to do some research on this one. I just always assumed the 458 Win Mag was the Cape Buffalo round. Great for bear. Um, but a lot of folks just don't want to put up with that recoil. But as, as you say, it is really not that bad in a proper rifle. Get a good sizable weight to it. I'd say 10 pounds. Um, and good stock lines and all. Recoil is really not all that bad for a hunting cartridge. You're not going to be sitting behind a bench getting hammered for 20 rounds in an hour. <laughs> so I'm going to look into this and we're going to do a video on the unsuspecting uh, 458 Win Mad people uh, using it as a versatile cartridge. We'll just see what lightweight bullets we can shoot and how fast and how far it'll fly and all the rest of it. Maybe you'll get a few more friends who will like your idea, but it sounds pretty interesting. All right. This is another patron raise. Says, Ron, I've started to a Wildcat, and I'm developing a cartridge that would be able to throw a 30-grain bullet at 5,000 feet per second. Do you think people would want this? And what problems do you think this rifle will have? I'm concerned that the 30-grain copper bullets won't stay together in flight. Is this a reasonable concern? Thanks a lot for all you do. Well, I wrote back. I said, uh, listen, this is an interesting idea, Ray's, but without knowing the caliber, and which 30 grain bullet and barrel twist rate you're using, it's, it's hard for me to predict. A solid copper bullet should stay together just fine because, well, there's no constituent parts to break away. A thin gilding metal jacket over a soft lead core varmint bullet would likely spin apart. As for four folks desiring a 30 grain bullet at 5,000 feet per second, I'd say no. Some would for the novelty, but practical uses, I mean, that's difficult to imagine. Varmints, obviously, but that's usually a high-volume game, and pushing a huge volume of powder down a tiny bore to achieve 5,000 feet per second suggests throat burnout in a few hundred rounds. Unless you're working with a Sabo, cheers and let me know how it goes when and if you can. Ray's wrote back, Hey, thanks, Rhonda. Uh, do you think using a heavier bullet will slow it down enough to get more life out of the throat? It's a uh, 17 caliber. I've started thinking more and more. I might get some uh, custom 50 grain 17 caliber bullets made if I can buy them. I don't know what twist I would need for it, but it would be a long bullet. It should have a higher BC, right? So I wrote back again. No, Ray's changing that bullet weight won't change the throat wear because the case's powder volume will remain as large. And it's the quantity and the temperature of the flame that burns out the throat. It's not bullet friction. There are some cooler burning powders that can help, but the biggest cure is less powder in a larger bore. That's why the 22 long rifle can be shot for tens of thousands of rounds with virtually no wear or erosion in the throat and lead. Ray's wrote back and said, thanks again for your insights. This has been a huge help. So we will wait to see how Ray's project goes and report on it if he ever comes up with a rifle that shoots 5,000 feet per second. Okay, here's something uh, Betsy pulled up for me. Hmm. When I first started watching your videos, I believe that I made a negative comment about one. This is from, uh, looks like Robert. Yeah, Robert. 
I apologize as I did not have sufficient familiarity with your style of presentation, such as it is. I now consider you to be one of the top podcast gurus. Wow. Thanks, Robert. I rate you with Hickok 45 and Paul Harrell, an exceptional pair. Well, that's high praise indeed. Those gentlemen, I think, do excellent podcasts. Yeah, Paul Harrell can rattle off statistics like he's an encyclopedia. That guy's phenomenal. You know, Hickok we had on our show, and he's just a, an officer and a gentleman, shall we say. Hey, here's one from Barb. Hey, Ron, I love your channel. It's Barb again. I realized that I forgot to give you my background when I gave you a hard time about your shooting style. I'm retired military. I was qualified as an expert marksman in both rifle and pistol. That means 98 out of 100 shots found their mark. The last 10 are at 800 meters with a worn-out Vietnam-era M16. That's pretty impressive. I also went through the NRA's marksmanship training, and I shot competitively in several different disciplines. The reason you don't leave the charging handle out on an AR-15 is that when you hit the bolt release, it grabs that handle and it slams it into the receiver. That's how it breaks. Don't let it bother you, though. I don't hunt with an AR either. All of my hunting rifles are bold action with the exception of my AR-7 survival rifle. Haven't had to use that one for a reason yet, but uh, just targeting plinking. <laughs> P.S. Um, no, no P.S. That's it. Hey, I appreciate the uh, additional information, Barb. I do have a question for you, though, Barb. Are you what I think you are with the name Barb, or are you borrowing someone's Barb, or is it a nickname for being a rather prickly <laughs> person? <laughs> Be fun to find out. I think we're going to hear from Barb again. But that sounds like a, quite a shooter right there. And if he's telling me how to run my AR-15, I think he knows what he's talking about, and I'd better listen. This is from Litsky. <laughs> he says, as a Russian novelist and poet, I'm offended. I'm not sure, <laughs> not sure why he's offended. Oh, I said something recently in, a, in a, either a podcast or one of my regular channels about uh, oh, I know it was about no one going back into uh, a gunsmithing. We were finding a shortage of gunsmiths. And, and I, may, I lamented that young people these days don't go into the trades. And Mike Rowe has talked about this endlessly on his shows and such. Um, everyone wants to go to college. And I made some reference to, yeah, we need more Russian literature majors. <laughs> and that's what this gentleman's joking about. As a Russian novelist and poet, I'm offended. <laughs> Don't worry, Liskey. We'll uh, study your materials, and I'm sure there are plenty of college students out there looking for a job. So if you can offer them a little bit of money to analyze your poets, your poetry, they'll probably jump at it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. <laughs> All right, let's see what the team has pulled up here. Coming out of Texas is Randy. Hey, I love your podcasts. I listen to them all day at work. Wow. Helps get me through the day. Well, I appreciate that, Randy. Glad I can help out. Um, I also watch just about everything you post on YouTube to the point in March of 2022, you did a podcast with Hootie Who, and it was great. 
could you possibly get Steve Rinella on one day? Him being a hunter and a writer such as yourself, I believe it would make for a great show. Anyway, keep up all your amazing work on Honest and Shoot Straight. I appreciate that, Randy. Yeah, Hootie Who was great fun. We're going to get him on again. And Steve Ranella, several people have suggested that. I haven't visited with Steve now for probably three years. I'm going to try to do that, but I don't know. He is flying in some rarefied air. I saw him or or heard him on Megan Kelly broadcast, and I don't know if he's going on Megan Kelly. Probably not going to give me the time of day, <laughs> but I'll check it out next time I see him at his show. I'll ask him. Maybe we can get him to a comment to our listeners as well. All right. Um. Oh boy, here comes New Zealand again. This is on the west coast of New Zealand. That is wet stuff. I've only been on the west coast one time, and it is famous for being rainforest. Steep mountains and tr giant trees and wet, wet, wet. Rumored to be a one or two moose still surviving there. Years ago, they introduced different animals to New Zealand. Um, the ones that took and are famous are, of course, the red stag from Europe and the uh, Himalayan tar and some fallow deer and some chamois. Um, but North American stuff never did well. They tried whitetail, caribou, moose, uh, probably some elk. Uh, but there's always rumors around that uh, west coast of the South Island of some moose still surviving in that dense timber. Well, let's see what Cameron has to say here. Hi, Ron. Hey, if you had to pick one team of cartridges, whose would you pick? Hmm, this is interesting. Winchester with uh, 270 win, 308 win, et cetera, et cetera. Remington, 708 Remington, 7 millimeter rem mag, et cetera. Nosler with a 26, 27, 28 Nosler's and et cetera. A Hornaday with the Creedmoors and the PRCs or P.O. Ackley with his Ackley Improved cartridges. That would make a great video to see who has built the best stable of cartridges. You know, that is a great idea, Cameron. And actually, I did a few things on that years ago when I was writing for Rifle Magazine. I did a piece on Winchester, uh, I called it Winchester's greatest hits, or yeah, taken off on the music scene, you know, the biggest hits, your album. And I covered Winchester's, and I think I came up with 10 pretty good cartridges, but they're pretty famous for Winchester. Then I think I did one on Remington as well, but you are right. We could go with all of these different companies and just outline which cartridges they created. Maybe we could do them one at a time, or we could pit one against the other, but great idea. We will investigate that. See if we can't kick something out on our regular channel. All right, from West Virginia, Joseph. Ron, I have a comment on your episode 95 podcasts about neck shots. I slightly disagree with your conclusions on them. One, use large fast bullets. Two, don't do them. Don't do them. Oh, don't take neck shots is what I said. Uh, the neck is filled with many structures that will cause an animal's death. The spine, the carotid arteries, jugular veins, and trachea. Uh, I think there are two main issues with neck shots. Now, this is Joseph, not me. Joseph says, number one, the biggest issue is bullet selection. The neck tissue is not very thick, and the cervical vertebrae, although bone are very thin when compared to thoracic and lumbar vertebrae. This fact, along with the fact of a small depth, does not allow a monolithic or bonded bullet to adequately expand and transfer energy. I think for neck shots, the ideal bullet is a varmint bullet going as fast as you can get it going. You want to release all of its energy within that four to six inch depth. 
A VMAX bullet will also send shards of lead all over the neck, which is bound to hit something vital. If all the energy is released, it might even sever the spine with hydraulic or hydrostatic shock. I might argue that's that point, but you're right about the high-velocity bullet and the shards doing some damage because I've seen it. I saw I watched once a, a hunter shoot a zebra in the neck with a 243 Winchester using a it was either a 55 or 58 grain bullet. I think it was the 55 grain Nosler Varmint bullet. Just like that, lights out. Unbelievable. So uh, that can work. Now, the second point that Joseph makes about these neck shots, the second issue which we agree on is just the size of the target area. The vitals of a broadside shot could be up to a foot, while a neck shot at best would be about six inches. Now, I'm assuming... Joseph, that you're talking about deer, mule deer, white tail, that size of deer, not moose size deer. Because <laughs> there's a lot bigger elk, um, bigger neck on that and an elk. So we're thinking deer here. And you're right, it's much smaller area. So Joseph says, use a very accurate rifle from short range of 150 yards or less. In other words, make darn sure you're going to hit that little target. Okay. So from the perspective as a hunter, shooter, and physician, ah, Joseph must be a physician, is that neck shots are ethical with the right gun, the right bullet, at the right range. Ideal caliber, for example, 243, 75 grain VMAX bullet, 3300 to 3400 feet per second. Ron, I've been watching you for years. Started on the VHS when my uncle started teaching me about hunting. I hope you're well and keep up the good work. If ever you need an anesthesiologist hunter's opinion, feel free to ask me. <laughs> Joseph, and oh, he's uh, he's in the U.S. Air Force on the medical staff. Well, great. That's some authority right there, Joseph. Um. I think we're on the same page here. Yeah, I mean, you know more about the thoracic, uh, the vertebrae and all the rest of the anatomical details here. But uh, yeah, my biggest point is, of course, that if you encourage and or say it's not a bad shot, too many hunters out there are not going to necessarily follow your recipe by having a super accurate rifle and taking a super accurate shot from a good solid position within distances and all the other things. It's just once you get the idea in their head that they can make a neck shot, you know darn well that somebody's going to try one at 250 yards, even if they don't realize it's that far. But my biggest problem with the neck shot is the quick motion. You know, when an animal is alerted or suddenly decides to do something, he doesn't move his chest first. He moves his head first, and then his neck, of course, is part of the deal. So he could very quickly turn duck to feed, and this is mostly what animals are doing. You know, they're looking around, and then they're going down for a bite to eat and coming back up, and that neck target, just about the time you decide to shoot their perfect shot from 100 yards with a super accurate rifle, he moves, then you miss it and screw the shot up. I've just seen too many neck shot deer that were crippled as a result. Whereas if you miss by a few inches on that center chest shot, you're getting lungs higher or lower, left or right, or hitting the heart, or better yet, right above the heart where all the major plumbing is. Yeah, it's just a higher percentage shot. But I, I know that thousands and thousands of hunters have used neck shots successfully, and it can be done. I just think it's not your best option. All right, Jonathan from Georgia. Ron, for the life of me, I can't figure out why the 280 Remington isn't more popular. I know the history of the cartridge and how it was sort of shot in the foot. 
but I own and hunt Georgia deer and hogs with a variety of calibers. And for some reason, that 280 is an absolute death ray on everything I've shot so far. Of course, I do my part and I try to make perfect shot placement, but there have been instances where I've made less than perfect shot placement and things still die very quickly. It just makes hunting too easy and it has made me uh, pick up my bow more often. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't hand load at this time and it gets, gets fed a diet of Nosler Trophy grade 140 grain acubons, which have gotten quite expensive. But if it's not broke, I'm not going to fix it. <laughs> These days, I only bring it out if I'm hunting over a bean field or where longer shots may be needed. It's been an absolute laser beam. If I'm hunting in tight cover, I'm either using my bow or my old 700 BDL and 308 that also hammers them with the old 180 grain round nose core locks that my grandfather always used in it before I acquired it. I enjoy all of your content, and maybe we can spread the good word about the overlooked 280 Remington. <laughs> well, we will try, Jonathan. I mean, I agree. The 280 Remington around since 1957 has just never gotten the love. Remington's idea was to split the difference between the 270 Winchester and the 30-06. But that might be a big part of the reason that the 280 is not all that popular. Because it's sort of neither fish nor fowl. If you want something really fast and flat and speedy and all the things that the 270 has as this reputation, you get it. And if you want something that can shoot those heavier bullets, say 180 to 220 grains for a little more punch on target and stuff, you go with your 30 on six. Eh, the 280 falls in between and falls through the cracks, I'm afraid. But the other problem, of course, was that Remington loaded it first in some non-bolt action rifles, uh, auto loaders and pumps, as I recall. And so they kept the pressure down. The maximum average chamber pressure was established. And Sammy said it, I think, at 57 or 58,000 PSI. Whereas the 270 Winchester is allowed 65,000 PSI. So you get more velocity out of it. So now a lot of hand loaders, knowing that it's the same brass and the same rifle with the same strength and et cetera, et cetera, will load it a bit hotter, but the manufacturers, of course, don't they have to adhere to the SAMI specs? So I think that's why, but you are right. If anyone is looking for a great all-around deer cartridge, more than suitable for elk and moose and most of the African Plains game, I mean, come on, it's a seven millimeter. It's a 28 caliber, a .284 caliber bullet, somewhere in that 140 to 175 grain range can handle anything and everything. No, no excessive recoil with this one. It just doesn't have quite the flat trajectory and reach of the 270. But as this gentleman has said, it's more than a death ray. So you might want to look into it. I am guessing you could probably find some used rifles at less asking price in 280 Remington just because it's so unpopular. But it's a sleeper and it'll serve you well. All right. William from Colorado. Ron, I was recently handed my dad's hunting rifle. It's a beautiful 1956 Winchester Model 70 that was originally born as a 300 H&H &H Magnum. Nice. Sometimes before my dad bought that gun for $175 around 1978, it had been rechambered to a 308 Norma Magnum. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> it is currently pushing 178 grain Hornaday ELDX at very close to 2,900 feet per second on my hand load. So I know it's a relative flat shooter. 
What can you tell me about the 308 Norma Magnum? Boy, I can't tell you a lot about the 308 Norma Magnum other than it is so close in performance to the 300 Win Mag that most Americans aren't going to bother with it. Over in uh, Europe, it's undoubtedly more popular because it's a Swedish Norma cartridge um, and they load wonderful ammunition. Norma produces some really good stuff. But it's just so close to the 300 Win Mag. It's a belted Magnum, as I remember, uh, based off of the 375 H&H belted case. So it's not going to do anything. I don't think that the 300 Win Mag doesn't already do. And really, I don't know that it does much more than the 300 H&H can do, at least these days with modern bullets and ammunition and stuff. But you've got more than what you need in a 300 Magnum. If you're happy with that 308 Norma Magnum, just roll with it. Uh, whether you use the Norma ammunition, I would suspect that RWS in Europe loads it as well. But if you're hand loading, go for it. You know, you're doing the same thing the Win Mag would do. Got a great all around cartridge right there. I have just never shot one, never worked with it for those obvious reasons. I've got 300 Win Mags and H&H Mags and 300 Weatherby Mags, and they're all just right in there. So that's the story. Now, in Arizona, we have Mike asking about what? Ron, I'm a longtime viewer. I love your videos and podcasts. I am really getting buttered up today. I think these guys want to come up and go hunting or something. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Okay, Mike, what have you got to say here? You've been reloading for several years. Aha. My wife and I shoot pistol competitions ah, and three-gun matches. Don't mess with these guys. They can shoot. We hunt everything Arizona has to offer. Hey, that's cool. I love to hunt in Arizona. It's got some great country and some great wildlife. I'm just getting into the 280 Ackley. Being that it is harder to find actual 280 AI brass, I was going to just get some 280 Remington and fire form it. I began thinking about the load and the process for doing that. One, I believe that I can prime load and then seat a bullet in that 280 rem brass with a 280 AI bullet seating die. Is this correct? Because only the shoulder and body difference between them. Or would the 280 rem have too much wiggle room and seat a bullet with a 200 AI die? Hmm. Sad thing is, I don't even know if that's a stupid question or not. <laughs> And uh, two, what would be the best powder load for fire forming? I'm assuming minimum loading would work just fine. Number three, off-topic question. You seem like an awesome guy, class and swagger, a man's man. No, you got that one wrong. <laughs> I just limp along here. <laughs> Try my best, but can't make any promises. What you see is what you get. Um, are you a godly man? I've always wondered. You have seen so much of nature and God's creation. Uh, for Ever since the world was created, people... No excuse for not knowing. Okay, Mike's going off on a little proselytizing here, and I don't think I want to do that on our channel. Uh, there's just too many people with different ideas about the deity. We will leave that up to them yeah, and leave that religion off the table for now. But I appreciate you thinking about me, Mike, and asking that. Um, but getting back to the 280 AI and that fire forming with the 280, Double check, there have been several variations of the 280 Ackley improved, but the, the original, the basic one from P.O. Ackley was that he took the 280 Remington and he straightened out the sidewalls a little bit to take a little bit of the taper out that wasn't needed. Still has some taper, but not much. And then he goes with the 40 degree shoulder, but that 40 degree shoulder is the same distance from the base of the cartridge to the shoulder, the datum line, they call it, in the chamber. So if you take the sloped 
shoulder of a regular 280 and fire it in the 280 AI chamber that pushes the brass. The brass flows to make that 40 degree shoulder. And I do this all the time. Just take 280 Remington ammunition and fire it in that 280 AI rifle. Fire forms the brass just fine. I've never split one in the process. It's kind of the standard because the head space is the same. So you're safe to do that. That's how you make your brass. Pretty easy. If you want to get uh, empty brass without a bullet and then without the powder, just plain brass, you, you can buy 280 brass or try to find the AI. I'm seeing more and more of the AI brass already. You might as well just go that route. And then you don't have to even mess with it. But when you do that, I'm not going to give you the fire forming recipe, how much powder and all the rest of it. It's just too much risk of somebody messing it up and then I get in trouble for it. So just go to your hand loading manuals. They'll tell you how to do it or Google it online. But go to a trusted source um, like Hodgdon Powder or one of the bullet manufacturers, something like that, where they've got labs in which they've double tested all this stuff to make sure you're getting the right information. But you shouldn't have any trouble with it. It's a pretty simple process. All those athletes work that way. Um, wow, that looks like it's all of the questions for today. Say, before I sign off, folks, I want to say a little bit about uh, deer hunting as I have done it and probably will always do it. But I like to hunt big open country. I was a, a plains kid. I grew up in the big open country of the middle America, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, down into Texas, even big open plains on which there are white tailed deer. And what I find so interesting is that white tails in that kind of open habitat behave unlike white tails to a large degree more like mule deer. The point being that I think a lot of our wildlife that is adaptable enough to different types of habitat and are able to survive there, take on characteristics of one another in their behavior in response to the habitat. So keep that in mind if you're hunting in a completely different sort of habitat and terrain from what you're used to. Eastern whitetails, heavy cover, very secretive, sneaking around, uh, very sensitive to pressure um, because probably there's a lot of it. And also very alert because so much of the uh, threats to them come at close range. So they're always tuned into every little sight and sound and smell. Whereas out in the big open West, um, we will often find that these deer travel and forage and bed up like mule deer. We will find whitetail bedded out in the grass, no trees, no brush, haven't dived into a hole. So we'll glass for them just like we would for mule deer. Um, sometimes we'll see them walking across big wide open nothing. And what they're doing is they're going from a bedding area to a feeding area. And sometimes it can be as far as three miles, usually as closer to a mile. But they do considerable amount of traveling just going to and forth from their feeding areas. So be watching for something like that if you head out for a special Western hunt. And then the other thing is they don't pay quite as much attention to visuals at a distance. You know, we think, oh, there's a deer. He can see me. I'm in trouble now. He's going to run. They'll look right at me when I'm out in these wide open spaces and not spook as long as I'm not moving. So what I'll do if I see a deer at 600 yards, instead of saying I need my super magnum and I'm going to take a long shot and dial it up and all the rest of this, I just get closer because I know I can. I've done it so many times. I just watch the deer 
It, 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 it's walking away from me. Obviously, it's not going to see me. So I hustle after it. And I have literally run after deer that were walking across the open and, and knocked a couple of hundred yards off of it easily. Usually get within 400, sometimes 300 yards of them like that. Seems crazy, but it happens. They just don't pay that much attention to something that far away. But the other thing I do, of course, is if they snap their heads up and look, I freeze. And then I look like a fence post. Lots of fence posts out in this country. So keep trying to get closer rather than risking those long shots. Don't assume that as soon as you see something at whatever distance, you have to shoot at it. I don't care how fast and flat and accurate your load is. You're always better off to get closer. So try to stalk within 300 yards if you can. 200 if you can even do that. It's more exciting. It makes your shots that much more sure. And I think you're going to love the thrill of it all. There's just few things in life as exciting as sneaking up really close to an animal. And I'm saying I get as close as 20 yards from some of these open country deer. Grasslands, maybe the grass is up to my waist but the deer can clearly see the top of me and I will just work my way in closer and closer and get within bull range many times. So try something like that. Don't assume that you have to buy the fastest shooting rifle and cartridge and the biggest scope and all the rest of it to hunt open country, whether it's for whitetail or mule deer or anything else out here, you can stock close. So that is my hunting tip of the week. I hope it works out for you guys. Uh, good luck out there. Let us know how well you do this year. I'm getting a lot of reports from fans showing photos of their first deer or their biggest deer or the first legitimate 12 point they've ever gotten lots of cool stuff so love to hear about it send it in so i want to thank you guys and especially some of the creative ideas that come out of you like a 458 win mag as the ultimate versatile cartridge we're going to look into that i think we'll probably do a video on it fairly soon because whoever thinks of such a thing 45 caliber as a versatile cartridge but boy it wasn't all that many years ago when the 45 was considered a fairly small and light cartridge or caliber 4570 as the u.s military round in 1873 that's when it came out and it's still hanging in there which is pretty amazing so yeah those were once considered light bullets because they used to shoot 60 and 70 caliber bullets in muzzle loaders back in the day because they couldn't get the velocity we get now. So they had to use a heavier, heavier bullet to get the uh, terminal effect they were looking for. But the 4570, 458 Win Mag, interesting. We're going to see if we can't make that 458 Winchester Magnum a versatile all around cartridge. Get ready and Check it out on Ron Spomer Outdoors' regular YouTube channel. I do want to thank all of uh, patrons on Patreon for supporting us. We really appreciate that. And we will, as of course, answer all of your questions as soon as we get them. Those are the first ones that come over my desk every day. And I hop right on those. And then if we've got time, we'll pick a few up here and there. But keep sending them in because the team always pulls up the interesting ones. And we report those right here on Ron Spomer Outdoors' podcasts. So until next time. Unhonest, you shoot straight.